You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. On today's show, we're going to be talking with intellectual property and business attorney Stephanie Potick. And we're going to be talking about intellectual property agreements in the workplace. Stephanie's going to walk us through the basics of intellectual property and intellectual property ownership from both the employer and the employee perspectives. We're going to touch on what employers need to know to look out for when they hire independent contractors that create intellectual property in the course of their engagement. And Stephanie's going to share a few of those great cautionary tales that we all love to hear about and give us some good practice tips, best practice tips for avoiding misunderstandings when it comes to intellectual property ownership in the workplace. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Stephanie Potick. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. And congratulations on your first episode here, your first podcast here at OC Talk Radio. I know, it's very exciting. This is our first one. We had the last last show was just kind of interview. Our engineer, Paul, was asking me questions, which was a lot of fun. Uh, for him, I'm sure. No. <laughs> I thought it was a good time, too. Uh, but no, today is our first full show with a guest, and I'm so excited that you're here. So before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about you and a little bit about your practice? Okay. My name is Stephanie Podick. I'm an attorney, and my trademark slogan is legal advice before you need a lawyer. I focus on companies uh, to help them protect themselves and stay out of trouble. So before becoming an attorney, I worked in the toy industry for many years, and I have extensive business experience, which helps me understand both the law and business and law from business perspective. And now I just provide business advice and counseling and legal advice and counseling uh, for companies using trademarks, copyrights. Uh, We do brand licensing and try to create solid contracts. I love it. And I love that you have the toy background. I think that's so unique and so interesting. And it must give you an amazing perspective when it comes to all this stuff. Absolutely. It, it floors me how much intellectual property is now out in the workplace. So it's not just the high tech and the biotech and the movie industry and the recording industry, because it's everywhere now. And especially this idea that with the advent of the social media in the workplace and that coming into, you know, so many companies using it and we're just generating so much content. Yep. And then the smaller businesses, you know, like myself, generating all kinds of content uh, as we move along through our business and to promote things and and get our names out there and all that. So it's just such an amazing and rich area of the law. So I'm started. I am excited to get started talking about it. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about intellectual property, what it actually is, and then give us a few examples maybe of the different types of intellectual property that we're, we, what we mean when we say intellectual property, because it's a pretty broad 
Yes. Gamut, right? It is. It is. So you bring up a really good point. Nowadays, it's so easy to create something that you have to be really careful as to what you're creating, what you're using, what you're not supposed to be using, but you're using. (laughs) So anyway, so as a brief overview, patents protect inventions. Think of like Super Soaker and Dyson Vacuum. Uh, Trademarks protect brand names and other source identifiers. Think of the Coca-Cola name or the Nike swoosh, or even recently the um, smell of Play-Doh. Hasbro got that trademark. No way. They did, yep. They did. How, so that, I'm distracted. How does that work? Because if it's a trademark, basically can be many things. But when you see it, smell it, hear it, you think of that source. So when you smell Play-Doh, you think of Play-Doh. And when you hear the NBC chimes, right, I'm right, go- I'm not going to oh, sing. <laughs> you, think, you think of NBC. So they, they allow you to get protection for, for things like that. Oh, I had no idea. It's, it's, that's amazing. There I you love go. it. So love there it. you go. So there are lots of things you can do. Um, and copyrights protect the fixed form of expression of an original creative idea. So think of the Harry Potter novel, um, a Beatles song, uh, a photo. Think of Getty Images and a movie like Star Wars. That's your bigger example. So those are the basics. So Oops. when it comes to the workplace, I know, <laughs> they're sort of awkward, aren't they, the headphones? It's all good. When it comes to the workplace, why is, why is ownership such a big deal when right. it comes to the workplace? And Because if you're, if you're a company, and it depends what you're doing, but if you're hiring someone, whether it's an employee or a third-party independent contractor, to create something for you, you're spending the time, the money, and the effort to have an asset that supposedly should belong to the company. What winds up happening is if that doesn't happen, then the creator can have control over it, and that defeats the purpose of the company spending the money. So think of even a a pharmaceutical company. You know, the employees are working on different, um, different formulas for for um, medications and drugs, and what would happen if if someone didn't, uh, you know, the employee owned it and the company didn't? <laughs> so that that can be a huge problem for a company, and definitely something that they need to watch out for. Okay, so in that regard, then tell us a little bit about kind of what's the general rule when it comes to who owns what in that employer-employee context. Okay, that's a good question. So generally, if you're an employer, you're you own, generally the rule is that you own the intellectual property created by an employee if it's done within the course of business. So in the course of the employee's business. Okay. Yes. Then is it always the case where the employer is owns it? So in an employer-employee relationship, yep. is that always the case? No. That, so, okay. so it's not, you know what, it's generally presumed and each state has different rules and laws. So you, you do want to definitely tap into whatever state you're working in. But, you know, there's always there's always the case of, well, maybe the employee was uh, doing something after hours, or maybe there was, um, you know, it, it was it was related to the company. What happens then? So I, I guess my, my point is, uh, which we'll discuss more, I guess, in a few minutes, but you want to have it in writing. You don't want the misunderstanding. Better be safe than sorry. 
And then, so there's employees, but what happens when a business owner brings in like an independent contractor? So maybe right. uh, someone who's a creative element, like a movie or copywriting or right. something like that. So generally, again, the rule is that the independent contractor will own the intellectual property to anything created for the company, unless there's something in writing giving that intellectual property ownership. And that's, that's probably typical in an independent... Well, I guess it would depend on it, but certain industries, I would imagine that's pretty standard. That yes, you're absolutely. But, the, you know, you'd be really surprised. I think the issue is that a lot of companies don't realize that this isn't even an issue. So... Uh, my, I have so many different stories, but, you know, I mean, even a big movie studio and um, The Hangover 2. I don't know if you saw The Hangover 2 and, you know, with Mike Tyson's tattoo, but it was on The Bachelor this time. So they wound up, um, they wound up uh, using a tattoo without permission, and the tattoo artist who owns the copyright to that t tattoo sued them, and they settled out of court. So really the point is some organizations, even big movie studios, don't understand that there are small ownership issues and you have to pay attention to them. It is amazing. I mean, that's something that I, I mean, really, it's like the Play-Doh smell. Why would you think of, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it was probably something that someone thought that was a great theatrical thing, you know, some, some yes. thematic thing for the movie and didn't even think about someone may exactly. own Exactly. That. And that's exactly the point. It's There are so many little nuances within intellectual property and ownership that you, you want to make the inquiry. And that's why I think discussions like these are so important so people can identify whether you're creating, you're the artist or graphic designer, or whether you're the company, then at least you know what the general presumptions of ownership are, and then you can kind of move from there. Right. And I know when we were preparing for this program, this episode today, and I had mentioned to you that we had some friends whose young son, when he was a teenager, started creating music, writing music, lyrics, mm -hmm. um, songs, and those sorts of things, and has now graduated from college and was getting new along the way. Some of these things had gone and got informed, both him and his parents, but then at some point realized that, hey, this stuff is really out there. Like, it had been some of the songs, because he put a lot of stuff out there, and didn't realize where it had actually gone. Like, had no idea it was on one particular platform till he was made aware of it, and then was like, oh my gosh, you know, we need to, we need to get this solidified. He didn't realize. So I bet there's a lot of that that goes on out there, too, where you don't realize. Exactly, you know? exactly. And it's never too late. So that's the, well, it's almost never too late, but it's, it's good to know, good to identify, good to have these conversations now. I love it. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look more specifically at intellectual property ownership from the employer and the employee perspectives. And Stephanie's going to share with us some cautionary tales and a few best practice tips we mentioned before. So stay with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hello, it's me, the designer jeans in the back of your closet. What happened to us? I used to summer in the Hamptons, and now I'm stuck behind a pair of sweats. Okay, maybe I never really fit you right, but I got a lot more Sunday fun days left in me. So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. 
Okay, and before we head back to uh, Teresa and her guests, we want to remind you that uh, next week's show, yes, we're already thinking about next week's show, is on OC with OC bankruptcy attorney Harleen Miller, where they'll be sharing some need-to-know bankruptcy tips for employees and employers. I know it's something you don't want to think about, but there is stuff you need to know, and we're going to tell you all about it on next week's show. Before we do that, back to Teresa and her guest. Welcome back. We are talking uh, about intellectual property ownership with attorney Stephanie Podick. Stephanie, let's talk about some of the different perspectives now. Let's dig a little deeper that we've kind of got a little overview about what intellectual property is, why it's important. Um, and so now let's talk a little bit about the perspectives that ha- that take place in the workplace from the employer's view and the employee's view when it comes to ownership issues. So let's start with let's start with the employer's perspective. Okay. Um, so as, as we were discussing before the break, uh, basically if you're a company and you're hiring a third party for whatever reason, you do want to make sure that you know about what's being created and you know whether you own it or not. So again, it, the presumption is if an employee is working on something in the course of employment, then the company should be the owner of the intellectual property. However, since that's not a bright line rule, you're always better off getting it in writing. Again, and that's easy to do, you know, in, in a, an employee um, handbook or a manual, these things can be addressed. In, if, if an employer puts it in an employee handbook, because mm-hmm. I know I've got them in some of the ones that, that I do as well, is it better for, is that one of those things that should be signed or initialed, acknowledged separately because it is impactful? Or do you think it, have you ever had a situation where just having it in a handbook wasn't enough? Right. Well, I don't handle litigation, thankfully. I I try to keep people out of trouble. So I I guess, again, it would be a state-specific inquiry. It can never hurt to do something a little bit extra. I'm not sure that it would make the difference. But you do want to make sure that the materials are there, ideally before the employee signs up or before an independent contractor does the work. You can create and supply something separately, uh, but then you probably want to add uh, different considerations, something additional, something extra, to show that you know, there's there's more consideration for doing it after the fact. And then those types of agreements, well, let me back up. So if you're talking about either putting it as a you know in a handbook mm-hmm. or a separate agreement is there any type of specific provisions that are really really important to be in there well sure and anything that would deal with uh, if the company has trade secrets that they have to keep the trade secrets confidential uh, what they can do with the information and then there has to be um, very specific language about intellectual property ownership so that, again, it's, it's something that you just have to make sure that it's completely covered. You want to make sure that you understand what the company is doing, what the employee or independent contractor is doing, and then you can make sure that that's um, solidified and, and memorialized in the contract. And then, well, you mentioned trade secrets, which is interesting as a whole. We could talk all about the Trade Secrets Act and all that stuff. Is there, from an intellectual property standpoint, I know when people talk about, uh, nowadays they use confidentiality provisions to put the trade secrets in there and talk about our customer list and all these other things. And I always tell people that it doesn't do any good to designate it if you're not actually treating it like a trade secret. So is that 
that an issue when it comes to intellectual property as well? Correct. But that, you know, that's something, so that's something that you would want to counsel the company on. So when they're creating, you know, it's a little bit separate because when you're, when the company is figuring out how they're going to treat this information, you know, you can have something in a, a provision in a contract, but you're right. You have to back it up as well. So that's, you know, that's a, a separate inquiry and a separate um, issue that the company should pay attention to. Because I would think like the formula for Coke it wouldn't be enough to just say, oh, yeah, it's our secret formula. Right. No, and they. I'm sure they take great lengths to, to keep everything secret. Yeah, I've heard it's crazy. I heard that they do take a lot of these. But it goes to strengthen the idea that this is... This is our property. We treat it, you know, we Correct. treat it as such, and Correct. it's important. And I'm sure their employee handbooks have have a lot of uh, language to address that. Make sure that they keep it confidential and that anything created stays to the, you know, ownership to the company. Well, it's interesting. So let's I because questions keep popping up in my head about the employee perspective and things that employees might find interesting to know. So let's kind of switch gears and mm. talk a little bit about the employee perspective when it comes to intellectual property agreements. Right. I think from the employee side, um, again, it depends what they're doing. So let's say that uh, someone, an employee works for a company and they're a graphic designer. The question is, do they do anything outside of work? And is that similar to the business that their employer is in. So there are a lot of inquiries to make. So I think if I'm an employee and I have to sign something, I would think, what am I doing outside of anything? What opportunity or other things do I have going on in my world? And how do they intersect? And coming back to it's better to do everything up front, you know, you, you minimize risk and misunderstanding if you have that uh, conversation up front. So the company should be proactive and the employee also, if they see something in an employee handbook, they should say, oh, you know, I'm doing this, is that okay? It's not, you know, again, each situation is different and I'm not sure that everyone would want to disclose what they're doing outside of work, but <laughs> it's, it's an issue and they would want to look at it that way. Yeah, because I would think like, especially someone who's creating content. Yes. Whatever that looks like. So let's say that's their job at the company. But in their off time, they're writing, you know, comics or what are the graphic novels or, sure. you know, something like that, that sure. they're doing on their own. If that's similar to what they do at work, then that might be an issue, it right? Might, it might be an issue. Absolutely. It might be an issue. So that's, that's, again, that's something that, you know, before they even take a job, that might be worth reviewing or having the conversation because let's say the company really loves the the potential employees work and they don't really care so you know they'll say okay great we'll carve out that specifically what you work you know for us on uh, you know on on an ongoing basis that's ours and if you do something outside of work then that's yours and another thing which is a great suggestion is to list everything that the employee works on and then you have a a, a true list of what is owned by the company if in fact that's that's what's in the agreement well i think that's i, I love that point and i think that you know, for what I always talk about in my practice, it's like preserving the relationship. So you want to make sure that you're doing yep. things that are building that employer-employee relationship as opposed to tearing it down. Yep. And I think that 
one of the biggest things that tear down an employer-employee relationship is misperceptions and misunderstandings. Yeah. So this idea that you know from the get-go, if you understand where where everything is, what's delineated, this is what I do, this is what you own, this is what I own, then you avoid those instances where you're already in the relationship, and okay. all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute. That's not right. I invented this or I created that. What do you mean you own it? So you've you've put a bump in that relationship. You've you've put a block there that now there's maybe a little bit of bitterness over the misunderstanding or something like that. Sure. And it's tough to repair. Sure. And anything, excuse me, anything not in writing uh, is a potential lawsuit. And I think I should bring you with me everywhere because that's that's really, that's the bottom line. If you can have these conversations up front, whether it's even partnership agreements or anything else where two or more people are working together, when you have, it's like dating before marriage. You want to have those conversations to make sure there's a better relationship. And and again, minimizing risk in lawsuits is huge. Yeah, and I think that's important. So I would think, you know, just don't be afraid to talk about, from either the employer or the employee, don't be afraid to broach these subjects. Because from either perspective, you don't want to leave it vague. It's not something you want to be arguing over when nobody's getting Correct. along. Then, then the attorneys, well, yeah, I shouldn't say we're attorneys, <laughs> but, you know, but then we know who's... Who's going to benefit from that? Right, exactly. Okay, well, so we mentioned this earlier. Let's just touch on it because I want to get to the. I want to get to the good. I want to get to the good. The fun stuff. Yeah, the fun stuff. Same thing I would imagine with in a, with independent contractors, right? Yes. Same thing. Make sure you have those conversations ahead yes. of time and be very clear. Yes. So, and, and again, well, you know, we can we can go through different examples of independent contractors. But let's say you you need a logo made. You're going to hire and an independent contractor, a third party. You don't have an R&D. You're an attorney. You're not going to do that. So you're going to hire a third party to do the logo or a website or whatever it is. That third party is an independent contractor. That third party is creating something for you. And ownership of the intellectual property stays with that person or firm. So what happens is, you know, again, that's another conversation as well. If I'm the, as a former business owner and toys, I want to own my intellectual property. So, you know, there's there's that inherent um, conflict where if I created the intellectual property, maybe I, I want to continue to own it. In that case, maybe I can license it to you if I created the logo for you. Or maybe I just want to put it in my portfolio. And then in that case, you know, same thing. Maybe you own it, but the contract states that I will be able to use it and demonstrate that look at this logo I did for Teresa to other people. So it, it really it really depends. But if I'm counseling a business owner, I want them to own the intellectual property and, and you know, nine times out of ten. But if not, there are ways to get around it. And there are ways, again, like you were saying earlier, to have that conversation and come to a mutual understanding and then put it in writing. Always get it in writing. Always get it in writing. Okay, well, let's, because we're running out of time here, but let's switch gears a bit and okay. get to the good stuff, right? Everyone always wants to hear the attorney tales. Yes. That, you know, how it all went horribly wrong. Yes. So let's share a few of those cautionary tales. Yes. Think of some really good ones. Okay. So, like, like one, would you do your best one first? Oh, no. So I tried to come up with practical. I think practical because, you know, when people hear big stories, they're, they're great and they're fun, but. <laughs> I, you know, I, I want what I really want from conversations like these is for 
whoever's watching, whether you're a business owner, an employee, an independent contractor, I want I want people to walk away with something they can take with them, something things that they can ask, or you know, something they'll think, oh, wait. That's close to home. I get that. Exactly. So there was a years ago, uh, I felt horrible for this poor person, uh, a web designer. He had a, a web company, and he created websites for third parties. And he had hired a graphic designer, an independent contract uh, contractor, and to create a logo for a third party. It was an entertainment venue. So they were putting things, you know, they, they basically put up the website and you would come. So it was a, a fair. And um, what happened was, I guess the graphic designer was so excited to see his logo and he went to the website and then he saw they weren't only using it as a logo for the website, which is what the intended use was, they were putting it on merchandise. So they were putting it on uh, shirts and hats. Oh, no. So the graphic designer actually called the company owner and said, what's this? I want more money. I'm demanding more money. I didn't give you permission to do that. And then that's when the company owner contacted me and said, send him a letter. He's, you know, tell him that, you know, leave me alone. And I said, well, do you own? He told me the situation. He hired the independent contractor to create the logo. And I said, do you own the logo? And he said, of course I do. I paid for it. (laughs) And I went, oh, Just paying for it isn't enough. The question is, do you have in writing that all the intellectual property ownership and all those rights went to you? And he did not. So ultimately, in a situation like that, and that you can see happening every day, in a situation like that, then yes, he he had to give him more money or, you know, you're not going to go to the client and say, take down the logo from the website. So, so... You know, I'm sure he wound up paying him more. But, you know, you think about other things as well. So um, let's say you have a skincare company or a beauty company uh, and you're you're creating your manufacturer, you create products. You have an R&D team or you hire uh, an independent firm to do that. Again, make sure you understand who's doing what, have that conversation, get it in writing, know who's going to own what. Get it in writing. Okay, so putting that aside. Right. So now you have these third parties, whether they're employees or independent contractors, creating content for you, creating brands for you. You have to think about in those instances, okay, what are they creating? So one example, and I, I will, I'll use a Kardashian example. <laughs> they, were, they were launching um, Chroma Beauty. They had a makeup line oh, right, and, and they right. named it Chroma Beauty. And what wound up happening is there was a a makeup company in Beverly Hills called Chroma. Not spelled the same, but similar enough. And they they sent them a cease and desist. And, you know, bottom line is the Kardashians changed the name. I think it was Kardashian Beauty after the fact. So what the moral of the story, excuse me, there is... When you have third parties creating for you, you also need to make sure that they're not violating someone's intellectual property rights. Absolutely. So you don't want right. them to infringe. So you have to be careful of that. All right. One tip. Your best tip. My best tip. Your best tip. Two. <laughs> Falling into that, do your due diligence. Make sure if you're working with third parties that you own, uh, that you know they have the ability to give you what you own. And most important, find someone like me can be me, can be somebody else, but 
you need to make sure that you have someone to ask these questions. Hey, what happens if I create this logo? Ask someone, do I own it? Perfect. All right. Well, Stephanie, thank you. We are out of time, but I want to thank you so much for coming thank on the show. Thank you, Teresa. This was great. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. If That's our show for today. And so if you want to learn more about Stephanie's IP practice, you can find her on the web at www.potticlaw.com. That's P-O-T-T-I-C-K law.com. You can also connect with Stephanie via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and click on episode nine. I want to also thank our listeners and our workplace uh, perspective team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, <laughs> with our music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us, and until next time, keep raising the bar. <laughs>